when Brandon told me that I needed to uh, teach Proverbs 30 and 31, and I got reading them and going, you could spend weeks in there, you know. It's going to be a long service tonight. No, no. Uh, but uh, I, I was, as I was studying it, I saw this man named Agur, A-G-U-R. How many of you heard of him before? Let me see. Well, a couple of you have. This is the only time you find him in the Bible. You know that? In this chapter. And a very interesting fella, too. And uh, we're going to get into him, but for a few moments, let's slip past him to chapter 31. These were the uh, words of King Lemuel, and it was instructions from his mother. And if you want to know how to find the right kind of a wife for your son, listen to the instructions of this mother. And uh, you know what happens, though, is I, I've, I've studied this and taught this chapter on Proverbs 31, and you can spend a lot of time on it, but it's, um, it's actually the picture of the ideal woman. Uh, they claim that there's no woman that has accomplished all of this uh, in their lifetime or came by it naturally. <laughs> it, it all took work. Um, and so as you read that, and I would encourage you to go home and read Proverbs 31, uh, watch out for the warnings, the first few verses. Uh, she, she tells her son what to look out for and not to fall for. And then as you get into the remaining of the chapter, it tells about all these wonderful things that this woman does. Now, my wife comes the closest to it of anybody I know. <laughs> She's been a real blessing to me. But uh, there's, there's a lot of responsibility in these verses uh, for the women. And uh, even to the point of seeing that their husband is respected in the gates. Can you imagine that? In other words, in the city councils or wherever they happen to be, uh, there should be such testimony between husband and wife that people know this, this man and this woman, they they got it together. They love God. And so I hope you'll really take time to read this. You have to realize that in ancient Greece, a woman's value was slightly above that of a slave. That was about it. Uh, they considered her not capable. <laughs> That's what they looked, like, looked at then. In Rome, she was a little freer than the Greece in, uh, when they were in Rome. They had a little more opportunity. And then Judaism allowed them to go to the temple and uh, they had a little more freedom. But they were not really treated the way they should have been. And I think that's what brought about uh, some of this teaching. And the Lord wanted to have it reemphasized. It was written a thousand years before Christ came, by the way. Uh, and uh, it's such a powerful passage of Scripture. Uh, I mean, it just shows that women shouldn't be abused like they've been through the centuries. And that God has used great ones. There's a group... Uh, right now that is uh, a, a lady actually that started writing about the great ladies of the Bible and I'll tell you what if you want to do something for your granddaughters and stuff they have a series called Bible Bells B-E-L-L-E-S that kind of bells and it's just fantastic about these great women of the Bible and it, and it starts bringing them into a place where they should be lifted up a little more like this chapter 31 puts them and uh, the great great women uh, I mean, think of Yael, some call her J.L., but imagine her stopping and turning the course of history for the Israelites when Sisera was on a rampage. And when he was kind of, uh, they started chasing him down, he ran and hid at, at her place. 
and she said, well, here, have some, have some uh, warm milk and, and take a little nap, and I'll, I'll watch the door. And when he fell asleep on the cot, she took a hammer and a tent stake and nailed him to the ground with, with that uh, right through his head and, and became known as one of the great uh, women of Old Testament days. They even made songs about her. And, and so it was, it was really good stuff. So when you read Proverbs 31, <laughs> I mean, we, we, need, we need more women that can take out some bad guys. Well, we, we, we won't go there. But uh, if, you'll, if you'll just read Proverbs 31 and see all these wonderful values in a woman, here's, here's what it really amounts to. The closer a woman draws to God, the more of these qualities show up. Do you know that? The, the closer that you start aligning your life with the things of the Lord, then these values will start appearing and show up. And I'll guarantee you, uh, if you're a married woman, your husband won't uh, complain about it. If you're a daughter in a home, your father won't complain about it because they're wonderful characteristics that come out when you study those. So I want to encourage you to read Proverbs 31. Uh, we won't have time to read all of this and study every bit of it. And, and Brother Brandon said that I could just tread lightly on a lot of these things, so I will not get in too much trouble here. But uh, read that one and, and read it with that in mind that this woman that's being described, he's, he's already considering the fact that she's drawing close to God. And as a result, these, these wonderful qualities start showing up. And so I encourage you with that. And uh, much of the qualities would be very applicable to men as well, to have the diligence and the determination that this woman did. But going back to chapter 30, about Agur, uh, we, don't, we don't hear about him too much. In fact, I think maybe one other time in my life I heard somebody preach about Agur and the writings that he made, because he's just not very uh, well known. There's about 40 different writers in the Bible, and uh, spread over a few thousand years, and yet they all agree with a certain message and testimony, and that's how they came about recognizing the inspiration of God in the scriptures, that they came with the same uh, plan, the same determinations, the same way of living. And uh, so I wanted to uh, just take a few, uh, a few minutes here tonight to study a little bit about what Agur wrote. And it's so strange because he he approaches it sort of the opposite of today's philosophy. Today's philosophy is says, I'm number one, and we're the greatest, and we're this one, and it's all about us. He didn't approach it that way at all. In fact, if you look at chapter 30, verse 2, he goes, Surely I am more brutish than any man, and have not the understanding of a man. <laughs> what a way to start off a conversation or a teaching. You know, brutish. What does that mean? It just means that He's very humble, he, like, man, I just don't know much. Uh, I don't even know why I'm here doing this, he would say. You know, and, and often great leaders let people know that they, they came from places that it had to be God. And this is kind of what he's trying to do. He's got two young fellas, uh, Uthiel and Ucal, not University of California. The, you know, this, this guy was just called Ucal. And these two guys really looked up to him almost to the point of, Worshiping and going, wow, if we could just be like a goer. And as an older man, he thought, I don't want him following me. I want him to follow the Lord. You know, and so, so he writes this and says, I'm brutish. He said, I'm just uh, 
more brutish than any man. I have not the understanding of a man. And so he's really humbling himself before these fellows and for us to read. And um, so he's, he's going to introduce this concept to us. And it's interesting, I was reading it, I was thinking of Dr. L. Janney, a great pastor that I knew uh, when I first was out of seminary and teaching in a Christian school in Florida. And, I, and I've never forgotten his words, and it, and it kind of it is borne out in this chapter. He said, The danger between the great things you cannot do and the small things you will not do, the danger is you'll do nothing. And I think the encouragement from Agur in the book of Proverbs tonight is that God wants us to do something with what we are and who we are. He wants us to start there. He'll build into us what he wants to build into us. And so we're going to kind of look at it from that perspective, if you will. Uh, There's nothing new under the sun, uh, but there's some good things to be reminded of from the teachings here in Proverbs chapter 30. Uh, Often it's... um, necessary for a speaker to refer to himself uh, in a peculiar fashion. Do you remember Elihu? The, the friends of Job were telling him how, what was wrong with him and everything. And Elihu finally said, oh, you know, I've, I've been very uh, concerned in my soul. I'm, I'm very constrained. Uh, I've got I've to speak. Let me tell you something. And so he came from really feeling he had a message to telling these men about what he thought Job was really going through. But Agur comes kind of a, from an opposite direction. He says, um, well, I'm really nobody, <laughs> and, and I'm just, I don't have much going for me. Um, he said, I, I got just the lowest terms to consider myself because I'm more brutish than any man. But he said, I, I do want to share a few things with you. And uh, so both were equally humble. I mean, Elihu asked for permission to speak to these learned men that were counselor, so-called, of, of Job. Uh, and so he was very humble about it, but he, held, he had something to say. Agur is very humble about it, uh, but he definitely has something very important to say. He's so modest that he felt, uh, I, I just, I, I've got to get this out and, and lay this message out. So did he really mean all that he said? Did he really feel that way about himself? I don't doubt it. As you read on through that whole chapter, uh, he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't really change uh, how he's looking at himself. It's just that he gives God all the glory. He said, whatever I am, whatever I hope to be, whatever I think can happen comes from above. That's, that's where he's coming from. Um, some people uh, say, boy, uh, man, if I was just uh, had the mark of a, of a person of... Uh, you know, influence, and I had money and that kind of thing, then I could really do something for God. And you know, he'll point out in the study of this thing that most people that have things handed to them don't ever do much with it. You know, those that had to come up through school of hard knocks uh, usually do much more with what they have. So I think he really, he felt this way about himself. He said, I've come through some difficult times. By the way, he was kind of a naturalist and a scientist, when you read, he brings up some things that he could only bring up because he'd studied them, about the way of the eagle in the air and how, how does it do that, and ships, how they manage the course of, of rivers or currents in the ocean. How, how do they manage that? And, and he just brings up all these different uh, things of science and nature. Um, uh, 
he has some really interesting things maybe we'll get to we'll see how time goes here um, but uh, he just said by just searching for God he'll reveal himself if you come with an honest heart um, I was in a, a service not far from here one time and they had this fellow come and teach and he'd been teaching for a week and I was so overwhelmed and blown away that I thought was that all really in there I was sitting next to his father <laughs> and his father said I don't think God really intended all the stuff that that rabbit trails and things that guy went on you know and he said I just did he really mean all that he says he's gone down deeper stayed down longer and come up emptier than anything I've ever heard that was his own dad saying it you know and, and so sometimes there's uh, you know it can be kind of overdone and people with eloquence like to demonstrate their eloquence uh, and, and that's not necessarily God and so not that God won't use eloquence and he does I mean I, I love the way Brandon reads and prays and thinks uh, I wish I could be that eloquent in that sense and there's a place and time for it but there's some people that rely on that rather than on the spirit of God and so uh, I thought we'd kind of uh, go in fact he reminds people he said by the way if you're so eloquent, don't add to the words. If you'll read in the chapter there, don't add to God's words, lest he reprove thee and you'll be found a liar. That's what he said, you know. Uh, he says, philosophy may fail you, but revelation is my confidence. That's what he's letting us know. Word from God. Uh, he didn't claim to be any great uh, speaker, but he said, I've gone to God, him, God himself, and I've learned from him firsthand uh, through his revelation and wisdom. And so he said, I'll, I'll stick with, with that way of learning. Here was a man, whoever he really was, he held himself in his own opinion and judgment to be an inferior person or uninformed. I'm going to use the word inferior because it kind of gets our attention as we think of it because we don't like to think of ourselves as inferior. Uh, one teacher told me I had an inferiority complex. And the other one said, no, you're just plain inferior. <laughs> and so, you know, so I always had a little feeling about that word and I didn't like it for quite a while and, uh, but uh, he, he, we're going to use that word tonight uh, in place of uninformed or inadequate or uh, unequipped and, uh, and we'll look at Agur through those, uh, those kind of means uh, he was a firm believer in God he was not only a firm believer but he was an earnest student of the sacred oracles of God when you read what he wrote, you knew that he had to know something about what's going on with God. All the more because of his ignorance, he pressed on to learn more and more of God. Nor was this all. He was a willing worker. He spoke prophetically in the name of the Lord. Can you imagine that? Uh, what if we got so involved with the Lord and so less involved with ourselves that God would use us to speak some things that really change people's lives? Wouldn't that be powerful? That would be a wonderful thing. And uh, so he judging himself he judged himself brutish but he rose into supreme content at every thought of God he said if I'm brutish in one way one thing I'm not brutish about is I love God and he means everything to me and so we're going to handle him this way a sense of inferiority uh, must not keep us back from faith in God I suppose there's somebody saying I'm more brutish and I have no understanding um, because just like a guru said only wise men might put their trust in God and become 
uh, what would become with the rest of us? What if, what if it was only by those real intelligent people and all those ones that could figure out everything and spell it out and say it, those were the only ones that got to go to God? Most of us probably wouldn't ever get to know him. And he never intended it that way. He, his way is simple. His way is, is very clear. He didn't make many roads to heaven. One person said that uh, there are many roads to religion. Well, that's true. But there's only one road that leads to life eternal, and it's through Jesus Christ alone. And, uh, and it's interesting that in his prophecies, Agur, a thousand years before Christ, he said, man, I, I'm so uninformed that I, I'm just trying to find out God, and who knows his son? And he actually spoke a prophecy about the coming Christ, the Son of God. And, and here he was, an uninformed man. Well, uh, wisdom, God's wisdom is past finding out. But the world, by its wisdom, doesn't know God. Just, just the regular old wisdom of the world comes up with some of the craziest thinking. I mean, the governor in the state of Virginia, where we've uh, been for the last few months, uh, interesting that by his intellect and his training and learning, he concluded that uh, a person is not a person uh, until the parent decides they are, even after birth. And I thought, well, if you're going to be that stupid, how about wait till they're past teen years? You know, when they're, when they're really, you know, I mean, uh, he, he was really off. And, and the world's biased wisdom just doesn't know God. They just, not automatically. And so maybe you could say, I could trust in God if I were just, you know, if I just had the means, if I possessed great riches. Uh, the scripture says, how hardly have they that riches to enter the kingdom of God. Well, if I just had great gifts, I could trust in the Lord Christ. You know that talents involve responsibility, but they don't help toward salvation. They're just a gift. Gifts may even drag a man down, but grace can lift him up. God's grace can lift him up. A gifted man may be so full of pride that he may never submit himself to the free grace gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's some people that are so talented and so gifted that they, they just depend on that and think that's going to get them through. And you can't get God's heaven through your own merits and your own talents. It'll come through him alone, through Christ alone. Uh, we cannot hope to be saved uh, uh, because we have marked the holy conduct of certain godly men. I want to take a few minutes on this. Have you ever, have you ever seen some godly people's lives and saying, man, I can never measure up to that? Do you ever, you ever feel that way? Like, wow, these people, boy, that guy speaks, and when he speaks... 50 people come out of their seats and get saved, you know, and he goes to revival meetings and 200 come out and get saved. And Wow, he does all these great things and, and I could never attain to that. Well, here's some good news tonight. God doesn't expect you to be him. <laughs> he doesn't expect you to be that guy. He doesn't expect, he wants you to use what you have and develop it uh, through his spirit uh, and, and use what he's given you. And, uh, and so don't, don't get too carried away with this, uh, how great some other people are. I mean, you might, have, you might have seen their excellencies and only been humbled, and you're greatly discouraged, thinking, man, these guys are really something else, these people. Uh, you, you fall so short in noble character because you see them during sickness, you know, uh, and, and yet they have a, a strong spirit of God. Uh, maybe you've seen them uh, mark patience and joy, even in the midst of suffering, and their acquiescence to God's will, and you'll say, I just couldn't be like that. Well, he isn't asking you to be, and if you start asking for that, you're crazy. <laughs> if you want to go through sickness, you're going to say, give me sickness so I can really feel right, God. Yeah. 
That isn't going to work. You don't want to be that way. You want to thank God that he's taken people through it. And you know there's hope on the other side. But don't ask for it. You just walk. I used to pray all the time, Lord, as I was growing up, and I got to have the privilege of being uh, four years old when my parents came to know the Lord. And I got to grow up in a Christian home. And that was a couple of years ago, you know, at least. And, uh, and I got to see God changing my dad, especially. My mom, I always thought she was a saint, you know. But my dad was rough. He grew up in the Purple Gang uh, out of Chicago, if you can imagine. An offshoot, actually, that was in Detroit and Port Huron, Michigan. And uh, his brothers were really into it. He didn't want anything to do with it. But he had to live somewhere, and his dad was a merchant seaman, gone all the time. His mother passed away when he was about third grade. And so he had to make his own way, and he went to this brother and that brother and, and another one. And he really started off with a really rough life. And my aunt one day came to him, and she said, Carl, now he's probably, uh, I think he was like 28 or so. And she said, you, you need to go here in Cobo Hall Arena in Detroit. There's this, this new guy that's speaking there, and you just need to hear him. He says, I don't want anything to do with religion. Remember, I went to that church where they have all the, the guy hanging on the cross and everything up there, and he said, he said I, I don't want any of that. She said, oh, that's not like this. This guy's not like that. You just got to come and hear him. And she kept bugging him to the point he chased her away with a knife. <laughs> he said, just leave me alone. I don't want any religious stuff. And Finally, she bugged him enough one day that he said, look, if I go one time to hear this guy, will you leave me alone? She says, I promise I'll never bother you again about it if you just come one time. Well, he went to this service in Cobo Hall Arena in Detroit, and uh, he hears this man speak, and he said, I've never heard anybody speak like this. I, I understand what he's saying, and it makes sense. And I think I want what he has to offer. And uh, this, is, this is amazing. And uh, so right after that service, they had some of the team that came with this man. They said, if you want to help form a church in a community and you've come to the Lord, uh, just meet in these different places and a different team member will help you start a church in your community. And it was pretty fascinating. And uh, the one for where my dad was going to live in Sparlingville, Michigan, uh, a fellow named George Beverly Shea, you might have heard his name, uh, he was one that was going to help them get started and call a, a pastor and, and, and get things going. The speaker that evening was a fellow named Billy Graham. Uh, you might have heard of him before. And, uh, and my dad came to know Christ then, shortly thereafter. Actually, not right then. But he was so overwhelmed with what he'd heard that he couldn't get away from it. And he helped start a church, wasn't even saved yet, and, and helped start a church. And after six weeks of the new pastor being there, he goes, I can't, I, I, I got to do something. I can't wait any longer. Something's got to change. And my mom says, well, me too. And right after a service, they, they both received the Lord. And, and from that point on, I got to grow up in a Christian home, but I watched my dad struggle with the, the things that had been in his life. He'd had, a, he'd had a pretty rough upbringing on his own. Kicked from one brother to another. He wouldn't participate in a lot of the stuff they were doing. And so they'd say, well, you're no use to us. Go over and see Mark. You know, go over and see Richard. Go, you know, all this stuff. go over and see Herb. Go see Amos. They were always sending him around. To finally, he just started making his own way and had about 13 years of age, had his own car, and, uh, and tried to impress my mother while she was in a couple of grade, well, about 
uh, what would that have been, about sixth grade or something? Uh, anyhow, he was trying to impress her with the way he could spin around on the ice, you know, and all those things with his new Ford. And, and, uh, but he made his own living. But I watched him as he dealt with some of the anger issues that he had. If you can imagine, he had a lot of them. And, and it was amazing to see God working so much in his life that he would acknowledge that this was a problem. And up to that point, he was so proud that he never acknowledged that. But as I saw him grow in grace, I remember seeing his Bible open on the table every morning with his glasses there as I grew up through my teen years. And I saw God changing him day by day and year after year because of the very word of God. And he realized, I know nothing but this book, and this is what changes me. So this, this is what changes me. And so I want to encourage you that uh, you can say, well, we see these great people with all their excellencies and all their great knowledge. You don't know where they've been. My dad led so many people of the Lord that people used to think he was a pastor. He says, I don't want to be a pastor. <laughs> he said, I like, I'm a mechanic for the conservation department, and, and I do that really well. And then he had his own business later. But he led more people to the Lord there than he ever saw come to the Lord in church. It was amazing. Because he learned it from God. You can't get a better teacher than the Holy Spirit. And that's what Agur is trying to tell us. The Holy One comes in, and when he teaches you, you get it. And it's the best teaching you can get. Um, but some people say, well, if I went through all those struggles and stuff, maybe, maybe I could do that. And, and, and that they came out on top, you know. Uh, can you imagine... Uh, I can't play the man under fire like these champions did, so I guess there's no hope for me. Baloney. You don't know what anybody's gone through, and so don't judge them on that first appearance. Just say, where am I now, and what does God want from me? And who should I become with God? Who should I be? And that's, that's what he's expecting of you. He doesn't expect you to be Billy Graham. <laughs> he doesn't expect you to be Ruth Graham over in China serving the, uh, the people there. He, does, he expects you to be you learning his word and allowing his spirit to teach you and fill you and making you into something so powerful and useful that, uh, that nobody else will do the same thing. Nobody will do it your way because God made you unique. Um, maybe you've listened to people's prayers and say, man, I can't pray like that. Uh, and sometimes you even tremble thinking, wow, they really get a hold of God. Well, it probably didn't come overnight. It probably came through great trial. Do you know that? Great prayer warriors usually come through great trial. You ever watch The War Room, <laughs> that movie? You might want to watch that and, and get a little idea. Trials are what build character when you look to the Lord. If you don't look to the Lord, it can just destroy you. So I want to encourage you to look to the Lord. And I mean, think of Jacob. Here he is praying, and uh, an angel, maybe a theophany, a pre-appearing of Christ, come and he wrestles till the morning and says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. You say, wow, I couldn't, I couldn't endure like that. Well, don't, don't pretend you have to. Be what God put you. Wherever you are right now, God can take that and start putting you into a, a plan that can change your life and those around you. And so don't try to think, boy, I just couldn't wrestle with God like, like uh, and Jacob did. And, and uh, oh, boy, if I could just do that. Or how about Daniel? Could you handle the lion's den? <laughs> You're going to pray for that <laughs> so that you can see God's deliverance? I don't know as I'd want to risk that, would you? You know, uh, thrown into a pit with a bunch of hungry lions. But well, get this, they made a rule and said you can't pray anymore. You can't pray three times a day. I was just thinking we have a friend in Canada, and 
she's been to two churches that are there in Calgary. And in one church, they told them they couldn't meet anymore, and they met anyway, and they took the pastor and put him in jail. And anybody that would meet anywhere, like later on another group of them, met out in the woods. And the government had uh, those, what do you call those things that they control? Yeah. And, and find them, and then went and arrested the leader of the Bible study and the prayer, and then had pictures of all the other people and gave them tickets uh, when they got home, you know. And uh, so, wow, do we want to go through what they went through? Tell you what, if we don't stand up for the Lord and see God move in a mighty way, we're liable to be experiencing more of that. Came really close just recently. And I think it was a test, and the Lord saying, you're going to stand? <laughs> Where are you going to stand? What are you going to believe in? Who are you going to trust? And we need to be real careful about that. Um, other aspects of, uh, aspects of the piety of believers might have discouraged you. Um, while they walk with God, their, is, their speech is perfumed with the love uh, for Jesus. Their manner of life is above that of the world. And you think, wow, I could never attain to that, that kind of a heritage. These gracious people may seem so far above that you cry, surely I'm more brutish than any man with a gore. You've noticed also their usefulness, how many souls they brought to Christ, how God has helped to guide the bewildered and instruct the ignorant. And then you felt that it was natural that such men should have confidence toward God. But for you, what's the use for you? I felt good for nothing in the presence of persons privileged to do so much more for God and men. We, we feel like that. You've maybe even been more cast down when you heard them talk of their high joys. The other day you met one who wore heaven on their face. And you said to yourself, I wish I had the joy that beams out through their face. You heard the minister describe deep peace and holy calm and come with full assurance of faith. And every word he spoke of the joy in the Lord was like a dagger in your heart because you, you just couldn't speak of such a blissful experience. You were never on top of Mount Tabor. Never did you behold the transfigured Lord like the disciples. You're afraid to trust God because you cannot compare with other men in their heights. God doesn't want you to compare with other men in their heights. Three little things I want to mention about that. First, remember that you see these people at their best. You've seen their seamy, you've never seen their seamy side. Perhaps they've not told you how at times their feet were almost gone. Their steps had well nigh slipped. You see their days and not their nights. I think it's a very sweet trait that you might overlook that in people. You know, the world's always looking for all the worst in Christians. <laughs> they want to find something to excuse their sin or to blame somebody. But if you're the kind of person that says, well, I ha I've overlooked what they used to be. I see what they are now in Christ. And that's a wonderful gift, and, and I think that's to be commended. And if you can do that, God's already using you. He's already working on you. He's already doing good things in you. Um, as for you, you observe only the virtues of believers and you overcome their shortcomings. Surely God has changed you already. He's begun to change. You're looking for the right thing rather than the wrong. There's some real ground of hope there. Uh, the Lord has taken away your envy, your malice, uncharitableness. He'll remove the rest of your sins if you bring them to him in repentant faith. Did you know that? If you've already got some good things going in the right direction, follow his word. Ask his spirit to teach you and he's going to change you even more. It's going to be all the better. Men that you see who have faith in God, uh, you see the result of that faith. They didn't necessarily have that when things were going rough. 
they, they grew through their struggles. They grew through the trials. Uh, they didn't have excellencies before they believed in Jesus. Some of the brightest of them were once the blackest, blackest of sinners. Do you know that? Such were some of you, Paul said. You were, you were horrible, but you're washed. You're clean now. I think it's uh, not wise to say, I don't have the fruit of the Spirit, therefore I can't cultivate this tree of faith in, in which these people grow. No, rather say, if the Lord made these men what they are, and he forgave them, he can do that for me. He can change me. He can make me better uh, than, than that. Uh, the greater the need, the greater the opportunity you have for glorifying God, uh, because he has an all-sufficient supply. He never will run out of power and blessing to help you. Uh, I'm going to have to move on. I see we're really going, losing time fast here. Uh, the greater opportunity you have glorifying the Lord Jesus by believing in him for the great things that you evidently need. Uh, you can be called brutish if you want, but if you're the greatest fool that ever lived and you give Christ all the more honor when you believe him and do things wise unto salvation, it doesn't matter where you began. It's where you're finishing up, where you're going now. That really counts. Um, like to uh, think that there's among the best of men an amount of sorrow. We won't dwell on a lot, but plowing, harrowing, scarifying the earth to get good soil, that falls the lot of the best people. People that are doing something for God usually have been through the fire. They usually have. But they see that God took them through and he brings them out on the other side. And, uh, and so you can count on that. If you're going through struggles right now, and you think inadequacies, and oh, I can't do this or can't do that. Walk with God with what light you have today and get more and ask his spirit to guide you. Read the word of God and let his spirit teach you the truth about your situation and he will grow you. Um, we will go there. I don't have time for that one either. Boy, that's good. <clears throat> Billy Graham said something that I remember hearing him think it or say it, and I thought, wow, uh, did he really say that? He said, it amazes me how we can preach the gospel and do great things for God, and 15 minutes later have the darkest thought come through our mind. He said, how does that happen? And uh, there are a lot of strange depressions and things that can come because the enemy is never at rest. You know, that's one thing the devil is consistent about. He never quits trying to get you, never tries to stop you. But he's not as powerful as the Holy Spirit. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world when you're a believer. And so don't let him steal your joy and take away uh, the peace that he wants. Um, I mean, it'd be crazy to start asking for problems and troubles and despondencies and struggles uh, just so you can see the hand of God. If God is keeping you from that, thank him and use that to his glory. Don't ask for more trouble than uh, you could ever handle. Um, some, some people are like a child that would always cry until its mother said, What? You cry for nothing? I'll give you something to cry about before long. Uh, if you covet grief and even dare to threaten the Lord that you will not believe in him unless he vexes you, you're crazy. <laughs> no, it'll come by itself. Don't ask for it, Okay. But do ask to walk with God through the struggles. Bless God with all your heart. Uh, and bless him that you may be a stranger to some horrible temptation and horrible things in your life. You may not have experienced what some people have. Thank God for that. 
But now don't just rest there. Use that for His glory. Some went through horrible things and they used it as a turning point and they really went for God. Well, if you haven't had to go through those horrible things, don't wait for one to happen. Just start serving God anyway. Walk with Him today. Um, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, think of these things, the Scripture says. And think about those things rather than what kind of horrible things can happen so I can trust God. Just trust Him without horrible things, okay? Um, I used to pray that, Lord, help me not to stray so that uh, it won't require serious implications to get my attention. And I really, And I still pray that. <laughs> We've gone through our struggles, and we, everybody does. But it doesn't hurt to ask the Lord to help me walk with you so that I don't have to step into deep water uh, in order to have my attention turned toward you. It's interesting that uh, Dr. Tom Malone, the great pastor and started the Midwestern Seminary and some other things, and, and uh, here he's teaching young men to be preachers of the gospel and young women to be wives of the preachers and missionaries and, and Christian school teachers. And one of the things he'd always do as he's speaking, he'd always go like this, and because of this funnel-type shape gut he had, you know, his pants kept kind of dragging down. He says, you know what was really disgusting to me? All these young preacher boys that all come out going. And he said, why don't they copy the study and the prayer and the heartfelt searching I did? What do they copy? Hitching up my pants, you know. And what a, he says, we need, to, we need to be a little higher than that. We need to reach out and look for the things that really make a person. You know, something that really God changed them in. Uh, if you don't have an understanding of a man like uh, Agur said, there's so much more uh, that should cause you, this should cause you to go to the Holy Spirit. There is no teacher like him. Uh, if you go to him to the eyes of your understanding are enlightened, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. You'll really have something. If you go to the Holy Spirit to teach you, you say, ah, I don't have great letters and I didn't go to a seminary and I didn't do all this. doesn't matter. Go to the Holy Spirit, get in God's book, and he will teach you what you need to do, what you need to know. Uh, vital truth is simple truth. To know yourself a sinner and Christ a Savior, is this a deep mystery? To quit thine own self and thine own trust, simply to rely upon the person and work of the Son of God, is this exceedingly difficult to understand? The safest truth is the simplest. Christ died for your sins. Trust him to take them away. God's way is perfect. God's way in salvation is perfect. It's simplicity in itself. You can invest a lifetime in sounding out the depths of trouble. Just be sure to get started with salvation and God will pull you up out of the trouble. Make sure you are saved. Make sure you do know the Lord. Make sure you've said yes to Him. You know, a lot of people think it's praying words. You know that? They, they think it's a magic prayer, like, and you just pray this prayer and you're in. The truth of the matter is, God is wanting you to call after Him and say, I want you to be my God. I will follow you, and I, I give you my life. I turn over whatever I have, and, and I give it to you, and I want to follow you. He's looking for that. In Matthew 5, he says, follow me, and I'll make you. Follow me. In fact, I'll be speaking on that Thursday night. But God, but God wants, to, he wants to change you. He wants to do something uh, for you uh, if you'll just submit to him. So it's not just a matter of praying a prayer. I think people get saved sitting in a seat sometimes. They heard the message and said, that's for me. I need that. I want that. God, I, I want that. Give it to me. And they may not have all the flowery words, but he gives them salvation right there. Others might, as they come down to an altar, 
and the, the counselor or the Christian worker helps them really see what God's doing. They give their heart to the Lord there, but they want it. I think it's when they want it and they ask for it, he gives it. And, and so that's our job, just to share it and to share it with the love of Christ. And uh, not like I had this one guy that in, in Bible college, and he had one of those big family Bibles. Do you ever see those real big, thick ones? He'd carry it around, and we'd be out. Some of our assignment was to go out and witness people around the parks and in the streets and stuff. And so we're out there, and I'm sitting on a bench talking to a guy, and I can still see this fella coming up. He comes up with this great big Bible, and he sat right down between the two of us. He says, this is the way you do it. And he, man, he read these verses and just kind of lambasted that poor guy and then said, now pray this prayer. And the guy thought, man, he's going to beat me up if I don't, so I guess I'm going to pray. You know? and, and so he prayed, and the guy says, there we go. And he says, and that guy was listening to, I'm counting him, and he reported that for his evangelistic accomplishment uh, that week. Uh, you can't beat salvation into anybody. You know, it, it needs to become into their heart because they want it. And uh, oh, there's there's good systems. There's good the John Road, the Isaiah Road, uh, and, and and there's many many different passages of Scripture that are good to use. But the the heart of the matter is: Does the person want God? Can you help him get there? Can you show him how he can confess his sinful nature that separates him and God, and ask God to to start changing him from the inside out and move into him by his spirit and give him new life. Uh, just help him get there without all the, the special words. If you have to use special words and it works, great. But make sure they get the message to come to God. Um, we're, yeah, we're really about out of time, aren't we? Let me just get a couple more things really quick. Um, some people think it's by being real clever, having lots of good words, uh, real intelligence. Um, you know, the fear with that is that some people say, I could, never, I could never talk like that. I could never say things like that. And they start giving uh, kudos to the guy that can. And, and that's not God. God's not into somebody that's real eloquent and makes a show of it, thinks that they're pretty hot stuff. The Lord loves to use tools that are not crusted with self-conceit. Um, some of the greatest victories were won by a hammer and a tent pin. <laughs> Remember that? Uh, by frogs, serpents, flies, worms, lice. Imagine what happened in Pharaoh's army when all those things showed up. God uses some of the most unbelievable things. An ox goad, the jawbone of a donkey. Uh, think of the things God uses. So you say, boy, God's lucky to have me. Yeah, he can use anything. Just, just be glad that he's using you. Just be glad that he's using you. His greatest prophets often excuse themselves. Think of Moses. Oh, oh, I can't go. Oh, I can't, I can't speak. Uh, let Aaron, Aaron can speak. After a while, you see Aaron was kind of pushed out of the way while Moses uh, did the talking. Uh, we need to get away, uh, away from the unlikely weapons that we think, we get in our mind what we think it ought to be and how it ought to be, and we just need to be used of God. Uh, I like what this fellow said. He said, in the armory of the Lord, you will find few swords with golden scabbards. <laughs> Yeah, God will use things that no one else would look upon. I think of my German short-haired pointer. You ever think of a dog getting in the ministry? I started a church, and this lady came, and she said, I prayed for nine years for my husband's salvation, and he's, he's agnostic if he's not atheist. And he teaches science in the school, so he's really into evolution and all that stuff. And she said, I just, I'd like to 
have you pray for him? I said, yeah, I'll, I'll come and visit him. She says, oh, no, he throws preachers off the porch. Uh, he, he Physically, he, he literally chucks them off, you know. And uh, she says, you just need to pray how the Lord wants to do this. And I said, what does he like to do? She said, he has a bird dog, a German short-haired pointer, and he loves to go hunting, even if he gets nothing, just to watch his dog work. And I said, I have a German short-haired pointer. And so I put that dog in the car, and I drove over to his house on a Tuesday, because that's when he was home early, and sat up out front there, and I walked up to the door, and I rang the doorbell, and Bill came to the door, and he says, what? You're the, you're the preacher where my, my wife goes to church. I throw preachers off the porch. I said, well, I didn't come as a preacher today. He said, what? I said, look at my car. And he looks, and my dog had jumped up to the front seat and was looking out the window real proud, you know. And he says, wow, you got a pointer like mine. So said, you think they'd work together? I said, there's only one way to find out. And we started hunting together, and it was really interesting. Bill, Bill was so open. We, uh, we went bird hunting, and when we went bird hunting and we'd shoot a, a bird, his dog would bring his, the birds to me. And, and, and my dog did. And he would get so mad, he says, yeah, you probably prayed it did that, didn't you? I said, I said, well, you don't believe in prayer, right? He says, no, no, I don't. And uh, so we, we went deer hunting. And I put him in the perfect spot where I'd seen a deer every day. And it never came by there, but it came by me while I was out near the road. And so I got it. And he said, yeah, you prayed, didn't you? And I said, well, yeah, I, I, I do pray about those things. And uh, because I use it for my family and he was getting pretty mad. He said, well, I'll show you. We're going fishing on my lake. He said, I, I know where every fishing spot is on that lake, and I'll show you how to catch fish. I said, I'm in. We got in his canoe, and we paddled out to different spots. And he'd say, here, use this hookup. And he hooked it all up on the line and stuff, and he said, just cast it out there. Bam, I caught 10 bass in a row. He didn't catch any. And he said, you prayed about this, didn't you? And I said, well, yeah. He says, let me see that stringer. That's my stringer. These are my fish. Get your own. I said, oh, okay. So I fished. We got 10 more. He never got any. We're rowing very silently. I'm kind of trying to keep from laughing too hard. And we're coming up to the dock. And when we got up to the dock, he was so mad that he goes, home. And he stepped on the canoe and flipped it over while I was still in the back. And so I'm standing this deep in water laughing my head off. He says, what's so funny? I said, your tackle box was open. And then he says, that, that does it, man. He said, that, that just does it. Two weeks later, two weeks later after that incident, I never missed church hardly. I was sicker than I'd been, and I was barfing and everything, and I had one of the men that had been training to take over the service, and I was homesick, and the phone rang, and I thought, I'm not going to answer it, and it kept ringing and ringing. So I went, oh, I'm so sick, and I go over there. I go, Hello? Gary! I said, Bill? He said, yeah. He says, you need to get over here now. I said, Bill, I'm so sick, man. I didn't, I'm always in church. I'm not even here at this time. He says, you need to come now. I said, why? He says, what have you been working on me for for the last couple of years? He said, I need Jesus. I want him now. And you know what? It was so precious. I went over there, and he was so ready to give his heart to the Lord. He said, just help me. And I never had to teach him to get in the Bible. You'd love this, Brandon. I never had to teach him to pray. He started talking to God just like you and I would talk with each other. And he got in the Word, and he started sharing the Word, and he got his kids involved in helping with Sunday school and everything else. And he, he did more in five years than most people do in a lifetime. And then five years after, he was only 48 years of age, he suddenly died of a heart attack. But he had accomplished more in that short five years than many do in a long time.
And so what I, what I want to suggest to you is use what you have. God wants you to use what you have. Our time's about up, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I thought so. I had so much more I wanted to share with you, but uh, I just want you to think about that. I, uh, there are people that will say, well, you've got to have this feeling. Uh, or I used to live in Utah, and we started churches there among the religious culture. There, they, two fellows came up all dressed in nice suits, and they said, uh, we want you to read this, and then just uh, pray for the feeling of burning in your bosom. Oh, I said, I don't even have to pray for that. I eat pizza with red sauce, and I get it every time. I have that all the time. You see, our faith is not based on a feeling. It's, it's based on the truth of the Word of God. And, and so I want to encourage you to be people of the book. And Agur said, I'm really nobody, but he really has quite a testimony if you read it out. And he became somebody that's mentioned to this day, almost 3,000 years later from when he, he started, because he put his faith and trust in the only Lord God and in the son who he hadn't met yet. <laughs> he just said, who knows his name? And now we know his name, don't we? The Lord Jesus. Let's have our heads bowed, could we please, just for a moment. And as Brandon will be making his way up here. Father God, we just thank you that you're so good to us.